you know, when, now that we have all this data, uh, the, always the question is, now what do we do with it? Um, and and that's that's so so important because once you have that data, and you have a, a lot of times preconceived notions about what that data means, um, it's always amazing that once you analyze that data, once you do something with it, it doesn't necessarily line up with what your preconceived notion was. Hi, and welcome to another episode in Conversations with Des. I'm Des Blanchfield, your host, and today I have the pleasure of having in the studio with me Kevin Clark, Vice President of Fluke Digital Systems. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Doing great, Des. Thanks so much for making time to catch up with me. Vice President of Fluke Digital Systems sounds like an exciting role, but before we get into that and talk about Fluke Digital Systems and Excelix and, and everything around that, I'd love to get a, a little bit of background on yourself. Could you maybe just do a quick intro to yourself and kind of, you know, who, where you're from originally and, and a bit of background on your sort of, uh, I guess, your academic uh, path and your career path and just get us a chance to get to know you and then we'll dive into your current role. Sure. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess it all starts back in the uh, uh, farmland of Indiana. I uh, grew up there. Um, spent time uh, working around the farm as I grew up. Uh, ended up going to school to be a diesel mechanic. Spent a lot of years uh, working on engines as I was a teenager and, and uh, felt like that was the career path I wanted. And uh, um, while I was in, uh, in school as a diesel mechanic, I figured out that uh, I'm uh, actually pretty good at it and uh, went to work as a maintenance uh, technician. Uh, directly after that, focused on uh, the mechanical side of the business, and um, enjoyed that. But uh, you know, as 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 uh, as the career progressed, I got a little tired of uh, of uh, doing all the projects for the engineers. They get to take it up front and get all the credit for it, and and uh, you know, I'm left out in the plant floor, uh, wishing I had the credit. So I was the old adage that uh, um, that if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> and so what I decided to do was uh, was go back to college, and so I moved my family uh, down to uh, married student housing at Purdue University, and, and ended up with a, a degree in, in uh, uh, what's called uh, computer integrated manufacturing, uh, focus on mechanical engineering. And and what's interesting, what happened down at Purdue was a big transition for me. Uh, so I got uh, I got educated the hardest way you could possibly get educated, and that's uh, an absolute failure. Um, in my first semester down there. So I failed math. I had a counselor that convinced me that I could do um, calculus and I'd never even taken advanced math. And so failed miserably. I also failed this crazy class called Fortran on a Unix system. Um, and then, uh, so I had a, a crazy low GPA. So Purdue told me that I had to have um, a 2.0 in my next semester to, to stay. And so I got a 2.2. And I managed to stay in. But what what happened was um, by the time I graduated, I figured out and I had to fight through it. I figured out how how to to add and how to subtract and work in calculus. And then at the same time, I learned how to be really good at computer systems. And so at the end of it, I became a very good at mechanical and computer systems, which is, you know, a little bit of the opposite side of the field. 
But what that led me into was systems like robotics and SCADA systems. And, and so under, having a strong understanding of how things work mechanically and then how that translated into computer systems turned out to be a real strength for me. And so I started that at Johnson – or I'm sorry, at uh, Caterpillar uh, as a manufacturing engineer and then moved into Johnson & Johnson and then took over globally for their maintenance excellence program over the years and and their deployment of, of EAM systems around the world as well. And uh, from there, I started my own company and, and uh, ultimately um, ended up in the consulting business for maintenance and reliability consulting. Um, and then uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, Fluke was looking to create a new, uh, a new organization. Uh, Fluke is known around the world for uh, their hardware, and through acquisitions and recommendations, they they ended up coming back to me. Let's just quickly recap. So, give us a bit of a summary on um, what does a VP for Fluke Digital Systems as a role mean? I mean? As far as your day-to-day activities and what you're doing, you've obviously had an exciting journey, which we'll dive into in a little bit, in, in actually helping form and build and shape the organization that is Fluke Digital Systems and some of the 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 development you've had around the Excelix uh, framework and so forth. Um, but what does that mean on a day-to-day basis as far as that role goes? Yeah, so it, it changes every day. And every day is completely different. Um, and uh, I thank God every day for um, calendars um, so that I can remember what I did yesterday. And uh, just uh, just absolute craziness. Uh, we're, we're going through such a ramp right now, um, and especially um, from a technology standpoint. You know, Fluke has been so well known for their hardware over the years, and then all of a sudden, now we've got this brand new thing called software. And um, you know, it's a it's a completely different mentality. So we're not only working hard to uh, ramp fast when it comes to our technology, we're also working hard to educate everyone inside the organization um, and helping to not only change the way they look at things, but helping them to see why we need to do the things that we need to do inside of technology and how it interacts with the hardware that we already have that exists and how it applies to current uh, clients and then how it applies to uh, clients that we may bring in as we, as we grow. And the industry that we're in doesn't really exist yet. It's right. cre- being created, um, and so that's exciting as well. But it's also it's also uh, uh, a little nerve wracking at times because you're, you're, the decisions you're making are 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 essentially creating an industry. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, well, the, the the speed and the scale is one thing, but uh, I, I guess uh, was it 1948 from memory that Fluke originally the brand was was formed. So that's technically well, it is exactly 70 years, given it's 2018. Yep. Um, so, I mean, there's a long multi-decade uh, uh, history and, and, and proven pedigree there of success around the engineering and, and in, in many ways, a brand that people have literally you know, bet their lives on in many ways. Um, so you've got that to draw on. But at the same time, I guess you're in many ways a startup and a, and a legacy enterprise. Uh, but you're also having to, I imagine, um, come up with, with standards and, and standard processes and methodologies that are going to fit into this whole new space that you're building up because it's one thing to acquire technologies, but you also seem like you're building a whole new industry space. And you mentioned a phrase that kind of relates to that, which I wanted to dive into in a minute, which is sort of the whole reliability engineering space, and that 
I think in many ways when I think about my personal history with flute devices, they often looked at as something that I saw generate data. I would either connect it to or plug it into or point it at something and it would generate data and tell me things. But now you're sort of shifting into this whole, uh, I guess, uh, data-driven uh, insights and data-driven decision-making process where you're now capturing that data and storing it and providing analysis and insights from that. That, that must be a massive cultural and behavioural shift just inside the organisation within Fluke Digital Systems themselves, surely. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, when, now that we have all this data, uh, the, always the question is, now what do we do with it? Um, and and that's that's so, so important because once you have that data and you have a, a lot of times preconceived notions about what that data means, um, it's always amazing that once you analyze that data, once you do something with it, it doesn't necessarily line up with what your preconceived notion was. Right. And I think that's that's what's so amazing about collecting all this data that our minds don't necessarily go to the level of processing all that data. But when we put it into a system that that uh, that can analyze that data, uh, I'm always amazed what what the outcome is. There must be some interesting uh, boardroom conversations when you go into a, a client or a partner, customer, what do we want to call them? <clears throat> Excuse me. And they've had say twenty or thirty or forty or fifty years of 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 relationship with you, and and um, they now sort of listen to you talk about the transition to to this whole ability to collect data and 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 store it and and provide insights and. Uh, you know, they, they've got a, a number of big shifts in thinking and approach with these things where they've used to maybe attach things to their plant and equipment and environment and monitor it. Now the stuff almost talks back to them and, and in many ways can be quite predictive, I guess. What are those conversations like? I mean, there must be some interesting, challenging conversations, not just to convince them that it does what it says it does, but how are they going to change the way they operate their organizations? Yeah, so I'll give us a plug. Um, so one of the funnest things you can do is be – um, a, a fluke employee and get to go into a, into a, a maintenance meeting. And the first thing these, most of these folks like to say is that they're a big fan of fluke. And, and we put the challenge out there of find me a, find me a, um, a, uh, a plant that doesn't have a fluke. Right. And I, I don't know that it's possible. I don't know that it's possible to find a, a plant that doesn't have a fluke. And so um, that is the funnest thing to be able to go in because immediately um, everybody wants to know what's new at Fluke. And so we get to tell them what's new at Fluke. And the excitement is just uh, beyond description because the, the, uh, the tools that they have, some of these guys have tools that are 30 and 40 years old. Um, and they're proud of them. They like to show them off. They like to talk about you know, what they've done with them. And, and, uh, and I've even had lots of them show me how to use them. And it's just amazing, amazing experience sometimes to go in and be able to express the new things that Fluke is doing and then all the cool things that Fluke has done for them in their career. Well, I, I've got two devices that I, I saved up for when I was 14 and 15 years old at college, and, and they're still in my bottom drawer and get used on a weekly and monthly basis. In fact, my son and I um, tend to tinker with electronics quite regularly. We're sitting there monitoring things. So, you know, I'm not going to admit how old they are, but they'll age me very quickly. But they're, well, de- you, they're decades old. I, t- I tell you a funny story. Uh, when I told my, my dad that uh, 75 years old, I told my dad that uh, I'm going to go to work for Fluke. He, uh, he looked right at me and he says, one second. He went over to the kitchen cupboard and he got his Fluke tool out of the kitchen cupboard. No way. And uh, he brought it over and said, yep, had this for 20 years. And, and uh, my mom said to him, I don't even want to know why that's in the kitchen cupboard. And I, it would have worked so, like it was brand new, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it was fun. 
So here's the thing that I'd like you to do for us. I mean, there's been a lot of exciting news coming out of Fluke Digital Systems. I mean, a lot of uh, talk around the Excelix thing. Give us a quick summary of kind of what Excelix is and the framework around it and how that fits into the Fluke Digital Systems family. Sure. So Excelix is really is really an umbrella. Um, so it's you, so Excelix is not something you buy. Excelix is more of a term, something we can relate what we're creating um, so we can relate that back to something. And, and Excelix is that something for us. And so everything that works underneath of Excelix um, by default works together. So whether it's our CMMS or our, our Fluke tools or our Fluke sensors or our Fluke Connect, um, everything that's underneath of that Excelix umbrella uh, works together, which defines the IoT, and the IoT is defined by connecting devices. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're connecting our devices. We're, we're storing that data. We're doing something really cool with that data. And then we're allowing that data then, that that data that's been stored to do something inside of other systems like trigger notifications, trigger work orders, and, and things of that sort. Now, the thing that really struck me um, around this whole thing, and, and one of the terms that uh, one of your colleagues the other day I was talking to uh, used to describe it was in like an ecosystem, which made a lot of sense to me, um, mm-hmm. sort of sat on top of that framework. But something that really struck me was that you've got some amazing tools that come with the whole, uh, you know, I guess, quote unquote, platform of tools. But what really struck me was I could then get that data and use it with other systems. So, uh, you know, whether mm-hmm. I used it within uh, IBM's Watson to do analytics, whether I used it into Tableau to do data visualization, whether I pulled it into my business intelligence tools or ERP tools for asset management. Um, it struck me that all of a sudden there was all these interconnectors that didn't just talk to your devices, which was amazing enough, um, and take that generated data and capture it and then get me insights. But also it struck me that I could actually integrate it to all the other systems I already had. So I didn't have a massive new ROI, another massive sunk cost to put in place because I could integrate them. Is that a fair thing to say? Is it, I mean, when you look at the whole ecosystem around, uh, I guess, you know, the, the whole family of what is it, eMaint and, and Flute Connect and Flute Sensors and, and the Shard platform and, and everything that's part of that Excelix family, it's an open platform that talks to other systems as well, right? So if I've got an ERP that already has some asset data into it, I can send it backwards and forwards and get some insights from that as well. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's a an absolutely true statement. Des. Um our focus is making sure that that uh, we can talk to anything, and that's what we've learned over these decades. Is that that uh, even though I can go into every single plant and I can find a fluke tool in every single plant, um, reality tells me that that they use things other than fluke as well. And so, you know, we've we've grown over these last thirty or forty years where we've actually had really good technology 30 or 40 years ago most of us couldn't afford that technology it was more of a dream and a a more maybe a pipe dream might be what it was but we saw the technology we thought it looked really cool but the return on investment was just incredibly difficult and then also the integration points were difficult and uh, you know the connections and all of it was difficult but today um, what we're really focused on is making sure that we can talk to everybody. And, and I think that's, that's the way of the future. That's, that's how we're going to uh, continue to grow this, this thing we got a, as a smartphone, as a tablet. We want to have a single, uh, single source for all of our data, single source for all of, our, all of our knowledge and the things that we need to learn uh, in order to be effective. And so when we bring all those things together, um, it it, uh, I'll use one of your words, it's magic. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it allows us to do the cool things. Even not knowing what's going on in the background, we're able to do all these cool things in a single interface. 
Well, I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who was quoted as saying something to the effect that uh, a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Um, but the thing, you know, you've got a background that includes, uh, you know, Fortran on Unix systems, and I come from a, an operating system development background myself uh, decades ago. But the thing that always jumps out at me, and I think Mark Andreessen, uh, the, the original founder of Netscape, said something to the effect that software is going to eat the world. I think that probably needs to be rewritten to say that data is going to eat the world. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that really jumped out at me looking at the ecosystem uh, model was everything was accessible through APIs. And so it's going to be mm-hmm. natural that you will have the best tools for things around maintenance and predictive maintenance, et cetera. But I think that the, the, the great news for a lot of people that I'm talking to when they ask me about it is I said, well, I'm pretty confident that you can interconnect whatever you've got. But one of the things you said earlier that I'd really like to jump into was um, you, you made a comment around this whole challenge of thinking like a technician. And we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about uh, one of the things you're doing with sensors and particularly microsensors or small sensors that are mobile. And I was mentioning this to somebody the other day in aviation and around airports, and um, they, they started asking me questions, and they were very excited about this idea that they've got stuff around their aviation industry where a lot of their technicians and, and engineers go based on you know decades of gut feel, and then they've got to go and get the stubby pencils and pads and try and map the numbers down. I was like, well, I said to them, you know, there's a point in time from Fluke that you're going to be able to put this platform in place and put microsensors in there for either short to medium term to, to actually – prove something is, is good or bad, and then move that around elsewhere. But you use the phrase thinking like a technician. I really like this idea of sort of getting it to sort of, you know, I guess, expand on that. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start with the reliability engineering piece, because I think that's really important. And, yep. and the fact that, that reliability engineering has an awful lot to do with, with uh, getting and moving towards something very sustainable, which which is notification that I've got something beginning to deteriorate or something that's beginning to fail, and and we do that um, through monitoring. Whether it's somebody walks out to a machine and takes a reading off of a machine and physically puts that back into a system, and then we can trend that data for future use, or it's very automated where it's maybe real time, it's got a sensor attached to it and it's sending back this data and it's being analyzed and it's a very complex system, but it, it's a very simplistic action. Go fix it because it's beginning to fail. What we miss in the middle of that, you know, from the very basic way we capture data to the, to the most complex way we capture data um, through sensors and real time uh, type activity is that middle stuff. And that's, that's, the, that's the ability to, to sample data. That's the ability to, to capture where, where an asset is at that moment. And so what we've, what we've done is, is begin to try and think like a technician and, and actually take that, that mindset out to the plant floor. And so technicians want to know, how is this asset performing? And so we can take a thermal imager and we can put it on a, a thermal imager, uh, that thermal imager on the asset and let it run for 15 days, 30 days, whatever, whatever the feeling is of the sample of data that I need. And it can run and it can capture that data and get a really solid picture of how that asset is performing over those 15 to 30 days. And then that information then is in the system and being analyzed, monitored and trended and, and everything else. And then you can pick that sensor up or that thermal imager and move it to the next asset. And you can use that mindset on any, on any of the tools. So, when you think about what a technician has, they have a toolbox and they have a tool belt. Um, and so we, we try to think about that in the digital world. So we have a digital toolbox and a digital tool belt. And so those tool 
uh, the sensors that are on the, the tool belt are their handheld tools, thermal imaging, vibration, temperature, everything else, voltage, current. Um, and then we have, a, we have a toolbox that has the same tools in it, but they're meant for either uh, permanent or uh, semi-permanent uh, installation. That allows that technician to make decisions on where do I need to capture data and when I need to capture data. And then we build it so that all that data goes back to um, back to uh, the AAM and capture that data and they, they can do all their trending and everything and they can do the, the predictive where it uh, triggers the work order or notification and lets them know how that asset is feeling um, over a period of time without having to invest in hundreds and thousands of sensors around the facility. I can imagine there's more than a, a basic ROI in this thing. I mean, re- getting a return on investment from a, a large sunk cost in some of this plant and equipment is one thing. But some of my own consulting work over the years has, has been in places like transport and logistics and aviation where, you know, there's big posters in the front of the reception that has, you know, X number of days since incident. And it strikes me that the smarter we can make this stuff, the, the less likely it is that there's going to be an accident or some incident that's not just going to cost money but potentially lies as well. I, mm-hmm. I imagine that's built into it, but uh, that must be another side effect that people eventually realize, and, and that's a big value proposition beyond all doubt, I'm sure. Yeah, the connection between safety and reliability is, is huge. Uh, they're both, from a behavioral standpoint, very, very similar. And so a reliable system is typically a safe system and vice versa. A safe system is typically a reliable system. Um, and and we, we keep that in mind as we're developing these tools. And, you know, now that we're we're kind of talking about that, the one thing that to, to think about for Excelx as well is it's it's not just buying cradle-to-grave solution. And, and we try to, from a reliability standpoint, we try to meet our clients exactly where they are. Uh, so right. if, if you have a client that, that, um, um, that is very mature, so they're up to, in that predictive and prescriptive part of the journey, um, and we can walk into their, their facility and they might only need a small component of XLX, but you can do that. And that's, that's the beauty of, of what we've created is, is that it's not one of those systems that I have to buy the whole thing in order for it to work. You can buy these as individual components as well. And so whatever works for you and whatever takes you to the next level of the XLX platform, um, you, can, you can now do that. Uh, I, think, I think 20, 30, 40 years ago, we were all, we were all uh, buying the full system and maybe we did one asset and then there's no return on investment. And by the time we got to that one asset, we're already tired and out of money. Right. And, uh, and so today we can buy what we need not have to buy the entire system. Yeah, I can, ima- I can imagine being a fun little challenge to kind of put uh, a small sensor into colleges and schools and primary schools and, and give them a, an account to watch and monitor this thing and create new hearts and minds to want to monitor everything eventually. One of the things that I was really curious about, though, was um, when I looked at this, I started to make a list of places that I thought were going to get some of the early gains, early benefits. So are there key industry groups or key sectors of the market that you've seen since you bought this about that have really had quick gains above and beyond others? I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer. It's going to help everybody. But there, surely there's some spaces where you've seen some quick wins and quick gains, and particularly industry sectors that just switched onto it and realized, you know, we can, we can adapt this immediately. Yeah, that's a tough one because, you know, when, when we go out there, we, we can look at all um, assets. So if you break it down and you just talk about motors and pumps, there's motors and pumps everywhere. So everybody gains from motors and pumps. 
I think I think the biggest gain does is is being able to capture data from legacy assets we've never been able to capture data from before. Right. It's it's like it's like you bring life to an asset um, that's been sitting out there by itself. It's not connected maybe to the network. And even if it is, it's very limited or it's difficult to talk to. But the minute you put con- these condition um, uh, uh, sensors on the asset, you all of a sudden bring it to life. And what the technician has been telling you for years um, is all of a sudden true. And I think that that is the coolest thing that that and I think technicians really like that, 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 that they can go out there and they can put that vibration sensor on that motor. And and it's telling them exactly what they've been telling management. They've been telling other engineers that here's what we really need to do. And the moment you go do that, it's it's like Eureka. It's like, wow, see, I told you. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and there is that, isn't there? I mean, because there's a, a blend between a lifetime experience that that just knows it from that experience per se versus new faces who have no experience can do the math can do the engineering but just haven't had 20 30 years experience but still need to be, need to be able to make these types of decisions i guess this is one of the generational challenges we face now in all workforces and i'm sure it's more uh, uh, in place than ever in the sort of spaces you work in. That is that you've got, I guess, everything from the baby boomers and Gen Xs all the way through the Gen Ys, and soon you'll have interns and grads that are Gen Zs who have got to be able to make the same type of decisions, same get the same insights from the same systems. And I, I did like a phrase I heard the other day where it's like your, your, your whole Excel ecosystem is giving old devices a new voice. But that voice has got to be consistent across all those generations. That must be an exciting thing to be able to map all those generations together, but also, I guess, meet the demand that some of the new Gen Ys are and the millennials are expecting that these things talk to them, expect the devices to give them that data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I, I, you know what I think I'm going to do, Des? I'm going I'm to tell you a story here that, that, that will help you with the, the whole conversation about the millennial thing. And it was something that happened to me about uh, almost four years ago. And I have I have a son. My last one is in college and in an engineering program, and he was trying to figure out where where he was going to go, and and um, millennial, and he um, he asked me says Dad what do you do, and I told him I, at what I did, and I was pretty excited about what I did, and I I was proud of what I did, and and uh, I thought I was going to impress him, and he stood there and he thought about it for a minute, and he said. I was telling him about all the technology connecting devices and, and, uh, you know, even a little bit of the advanced stuff with artificial intelligence and, and, uh, machine learning. And, and he, he, he stood there and he, he thought about it for a minute and he goes, so you mean it's kind of like when I walk into my bedroom, my Xbox recognizes who I am. <laughs> and, and I, I just kind of looked at him and I says, well, yeah, we're not quite there, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. And it struck me that, these kids, and he was 17 at that point, these kids have expectations that are higher than what we're shooting for. Right. And, yeah. and so we're really designing for those folks, those kids that are coming up through the ranks. Um, and so that's, that's the other side of the mentality. You know, if we want to think like a te- technician, we also need to think like millennials. We need to think about the generations that are coming up and what tools we're providing to them and how they will be able to utilize that tool and to do it in a way that 
they're used to. I'm still trying to keep a phone in my hand on a regular basis and and keep up with that technology. And and they've evolved with a phone in their hand, and that's how they get their information. So it's it's something that we need to consider when we're designing as well. Now, it's an interesting point, actually, because, you know, almost every industry I deal with, and and I'm going to put it out there, I'm over 50, I'm going to be 51 this year, but a number of, of, of senior execs I deal with, you know, they've been pulling their hair out around this whole, you know, millennial thing, pulling their hair out saying, how do I deal with it? And and it's like, well, you know, how did how did they deal with you and your the the young generation? Um, but it is this expectation that stuff's going to be smart, and and I love that uh, anecdote about the Xbox recognizing you when you walk in the room because that is normal. That's that's today, yeah. and to pretend it's not is just kind of missing the market opportunity. And and you know, it's one thing to be seventeen to nineteen, but you know, I mean, millennials are sort of up to twenty eight now, so they're our next generation of, of of managers who are having to make decisions that are going to save lives potentially. Um, so I think it's great that you're hitting that space. Um, but also I, I imagine that um, there's a scale thing that comes about here in as well, and that is that one of the things I really love about some of this technology is that people panic about robots taking jobs away. But most of the times when I look at what's happening in this space, and certainly I think this is going to be the case for what Fluke Digital Systems is doing, is we're kind of getting rid of the dumb, dumb jobs and giving people the opportunity to do smarter things. And so mm-hmm. I can imagine a lot of people who are very frustrated running around doing some of the, the more mundane things can now be retrained and, and refocused on much more intelligent and, and worthwhile things. But some of the new kids coming into the, the space are going to love their jobs even more because they don't have to go through that process of doing the, the mundane jobs. They go straight to doing smart things that add value to the business as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I love the jobs that are being created. Um, because of the technology, like data scientists. And, you know, even today, and I deal with it almost every single day, I still ask sometimes, what does a data scientist do? <laughs> and, and, and so I don't know if a data scientist can even answer that fully. But, but I, the cool thing is, is I think in, you know, five years, maybe, maybe less, maybe more, um, I don't know that they'll be called data scientists. I think, I think that that whole that whole business is going to move into other roles that you're going to have a little bit of data scientist in your role and you're, you're going to be able to, you know, move up through the ranks and that other roles will have data scientist um, um, mindset. I, I think everybody in five years is going to be a data scientist to some degree because we're, we're learning what to do with this data. We're learning to, th- to think differently than my, just my experiences. Now we get to leverage the assets experience. We get to leverage other people's experience and it's all brought into a single system for us. And we get to, we get to make decisions based off a lot of people's experiences and a lot of assets experience um, that makes us more intelligent about the decisions that we're about to make. So I'm I'm excited about the the jobs that are being created because of the technology and because of the data that, that we're collecting. Oh, absolutely. I, I I remember my first job was working for a company where there was a typing pool and word processing was something that a, a special skill set does. And now we do it in our email every day. And you're absolutely yeah. right about data scientists. I mean, one of the hats I wear is, is essentially being a data scientist. And there are days when I struggle to tell myself what that actually is. Um, but I guess it's like spreadsheeting and, and so forth. You know, once upon a time, it was done on pen and paper and columns and, and rows. And now it's just something we take for granted and, and kids do it for homework. Um, so no, I do like that. I guess one of the things I'd love to do before we wrap up on that, mind is to kind of get you to, um, if I was to hand you a, a virtual crystal ball um, on, in the thread of what you've just talked about, if I was to get you to gaze into a virtual crystal ball for a couple of seconds, uh, you know, based on what you were just talking about then, I mean, where, where do we see this stuff going? What, what are the next big trends that you're seeing? I mean, you're on the bleeding edge of this stuff. 
you've you've been there with with you know clean sheet of paper helping build this whole uh, fluke digital um, systems business unit um you know you've been part of the formation of the excelix uh, ecosystem and framework where is it going to be in three to five years? What are the big things that we can look forward to? Uh, you know, I, they don't have to be things that will affect your share price, but you, know, you must have a general sense of some of the bigger things that we can look forward to that are going to come up and, and potentially sh- you know, shape the world around us. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's a great question. This could take a long time to answer. Um, <laughs> Have fun with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I I, I think to to kind of keep it short, I I think I think we're going to see things continue to um, shrink. Um, you know, I I think as technology grows, things get smaller, and I don't necessarily mean our phones are going to get smaller. What I mean is we're getting we're packing so much more into a single device with edge technology and all this other stuff that's out there that's that's really allowing us to do things at the point of of work. And so we're doing all the calculations right there at the asset and then sending that single point of data back up to the system. I just see so many things shrinking down. I see battery power just blowing up, like battery power getting from new sources and, and new ways of keeping technology powered um, and allowing remote systems. And and so I think I think what happens is it, it, it keeps – and I'll, I'll use it in the context of technicians. It keeps technicians out of the hazardous zones. It keeps technicians safer. Um, it It allows technicians to have more – technology at their fingertips wherever they are if they're sitting in an airport or if they're out on the plant floor or if they're driving the truck down the road and and heaven forbid they're not looking at their phone at that point but wherever they are um, they have that at their fingertips and and that never disconnected um, possibility and I, I think that that that's going to just grow exponentially over the next five to 10 years. I mean, I, I don't know that I can even see how far we're going to go in the next five to 10 years because the technology is just shifting that fast. We're even seeing as we release products, we already know two or three phases out of what's coming next. I mean, it's just crazy that you, you almost feel like you're, you're releasing the new next uh, technology, but the the technology itself is already changing so fast that you know you're you're working on the next two and three phases coming down the road, um, and I think things are just going to move that fast. We're also seeing uh, volume change, uh, so so now that now that we're onto this IoT and it just makes sense that we want to know what's happening with practically everything going on. We want to know when you know when birds fly. We want to know how they fly. And, and it's crazy the types of things that we want to know these days and how it associates to weather. And you're, what you're seeing is, is and we've experienced it ourselves with our new, the 3561 um, sensor that's being released in August, is things are shrinking down small. And we're able to sell things in, in masses, not just hundreds of different sensors, but thousands and, and into the millions of sensors that are going to go across the globe in all these crazy places. And so we're, we're seeing that scale down. And, and Fluke's more used to the, the, the big high accuracy um, sensors that, you know, that we sell hundreds and thousands of. And now we, with this 3561, we've really gotten into the business of big volume, right? People are right. going to order thousands of them. And I think you're going to see that across the industry that that uh, that the investment into 
monitoring systems is is just going to is going to grow exponentially and how we hang on to that i think it's going to be interesting and and you did make a point earlier that once once we get 5g the world changes for us and and in a lot of ways that's that's a very true statement yeah, I think there's a very there's a very interesting shift that's going to come about with 5G, with network slicing, and and a whole range of things going to happen there, and also the fact that we're going to have it, you know, lower latency and things can really talk. How far are we away from a scenario where Excelix kind of talks back to us and starts to to have a conversation with us? I mean, I, it's you know, I, at the moment we're getting data visualization, we're doing a whole bunch of smart analytics. I, I kind of feel like we're kind of doing the the you know, in many ways for business intelligence systems, for example, I often sort of think we're we're really doing Excel on drugs, but you know, how far away are we really? Uh, and I guess it's a big question, but how far away are we from the point where Excelix will talk back to us and start to have a conversation with us about what's around us, and we can sort of shift from even just thinking about maintenance to to a whole different conversation? What does that even look like? Yeah, I, w- I would love to say that's coming out this year, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it's not. Um, you know, you love to have one of those personal robots that just walks around the plant with you and, and uh, you know, just takes care of things. And I think the funny thing is I think we all visualize the, the, the robot looking like C-3PO or R2-D2 and, and being very physical like that. Um, but I think I think as as time goes on, they won't be quite that physical. The, the robot systems will be um, uh I think uh, built right into your interface and just become part of the surrounding rather than as physical as you know a robot that walks down the hallway. And, and but when it, when it comes to interaction, um, I think that's closer than than what a lot of people think. Um, you know, we're already talking to our phones, we're already talking to Alexa, we're already talking to things that that you would have never thought we'd be talking to 30 years ago. Um, you know, so we're already interacting and that at artificial intelligence is growing every day on, on, um, things such as asset management, because we've got so much data available, but that's being put in some really cool places like Watson and other places that, that are starting to allow us to have regular conversation with, uh, even just our smartphone. Um, so I think it's closer than, than a lot of people think. Um, it's just not going to get released this year. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a really good point. It, it is exciting, though, because the thing that strikes me when I look at the whole ecosystem you built is that it might not be speaking uh, uh, native language and, and English or, or Mandarin to us right now, but it's definitely machine-to-machine conversations, and I think that mm-hmm. that for me is the big step forward, that if machines can talk to each other and if, if, if an air conditioner can, can talk to a, a heat sensor and, and do smart things about when it turns on and off beyond just basic activation – that, and it does that at scale, at, at you know dollars and cents per sensor. I, my imagination just pops, and that's a whole nother podcast show. Yeah, um, yeah. But I really do like the idea that you, you know what you're saying is that it's not that far away. And I, I, I love that you've been fairly upfront about the fact that it's not next year. But um, I, as you said, you know we're talking to our phones now, and we wouldn't have imagined that 20 years ago. But um, if you'll pardon the pun. But no, I do like the idea that it's close, and I, I think you know, from what I've seen with the Excelix framework and, and the whole ecosystem, you've got machines talking to machines, and now the machines are talking to us in a form. It's not that far before Watson lets us choose the voice in which it does it back, I guess. Yep, yep, and we're all looking forward to that, and, and uh, uh, I think uh, I think the excitement is out there, but, but just enjoying what we have today, the ability to... Um, interact with our assets um, is is amazing in itself. 
congratulations on everything you've built so far. And, and I think it's an amazing platform uh, and, and framework around it. And uh, I, I can imagine that anyone listening to this should just immediately jump online and go and have a look at the website. Just search for Excelix, A-C-C-E-L-I-X, or just search for Flute Digital Systems. And uh, I think from memory, there's a bunch of downloads and, and so forth. They can uh, have a look there. Um, just lastly, though, where should folk go to, to kind of reach out? If someone's got a question from this or if they want to learn more, uh, what are the quick points they should take away from this as to how they get in touch, how they get more information to, uh, I guess, you know, get a bit more in depth? Yeah, I think the Excelix web website is a, is a really good place to go because it's got all the contact information. It's got all the product information, um, where we are, where we're going. Um, so it's a great place to start. And that's Excelix. So it's A-C-C-E-L-I-X dot com. Um, and yeah, I've, I've spent many an hour there myself just getting to know it well. Uh, there's a bunch of really great stuff around there. That right on the home page is a nice big picture of what the whole ecosystem looks like. Um, Kevin yes. Clark, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and I uh, look forward to having you uh, back on the show again sometime for uh, part two of where it goes next. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Des.